Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. Today, we are again in Luke chapter 16, and our topic from this verse is Jesus on marriage and divorce. This is a real tough passage, but hang on because there's some good news embedded in the teaching of Jesus that we want to break open for you in very practical ways. And actually, it's so important. This may actually end up being a two-part mini-mini-series here in Luke chapter 16. But let's read verse 18. Jesus said, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, you might ask the question, why would someone divorcing from a valid marriage uh, and getting remarried commit adultery? You'd say, well, didn't divorce end the marriage? No. What Jesus is saying is that marriage is a lifelong bond, and only death will break the bond of a valid marriage. Divorce doesn't. Uh, This is from the Navarre Study Bible. It says, quote, our Lord's teaching on the indissolubility of marriage is very clear. Once a man and a woman contract a true marriage, neither can marry again while the other is alive. Now, again, why is this? We go right back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where God says, Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, sometimes we take this as a kind of a nice poetic description of marriage, but when God says the two become one, he's not talking about just the two becoming emotionally attached to one another. That's certainly true. And it's more than simply becoming psychologically attached to each other. That's certainly true and not just metaphorically attached to each other, but really and truly one. And that's the reason behind what you see this teaching in Luke 16 and verse 18. The same teaching is reverberated in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. He's simply repeating Genesis 2. And the two shall become one flesh. But Jesus then goes on. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. There is a real, deep, and profound change that happens in the course of a true marriage between a man and a woman. And that's why Jesus goes on to say, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. In other words, there's a real oneness that takes place. I've shared this story before, but this was a story that's kind of fresh in my mind. I was a young pastor, 
and those of you who are new to listening, I was a evangelical pastor before becoming a Catholic, and I was a young pastor, and there was a young woman uh, thinking of getting married to a young man who had been divorced, and there are certain things about the relationship, actually a few things about the relationship that I questioned. I, I, I saw some, some pitfalls there, basically, and the grandmother heard about this and proceeded to make an appointment and in no uncertain terms was coming down to meet with me and straighten me out. She had been divorced. So she came in just really ready for a fight. And she says, well, why do you have hesitations, you know, about this perhaps marriage taking place with this young man? And the reason regarding divorce, I said, is this. I have never met a divorced person who didn't have a lingering part of that former spouse still within them. And she looked right at me and she said, I agree with you. She knew what I was talking about. There's a dis, uh, what should I say? A disequilibrium that takes place when you divorce because there's a, a continuing effect of the prior marriage. I tried to explain it like this. Imagine you take a real generous supply of super glue and you glue two pieces of paper together. And for super glue, you don't have to wait too long, okay? It's dry pretty quick. Then try to separate the two pieces of paper again. I mean, you'll get two pieces or more, but it, it will not be like it was before because Part of one will be stuck to the other and vice versa, and there's no clean break possible like that. Now, I need to mention the reason we may be doing two episodes here in our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke, this one verse, Luke 16 and verse 18, was one of the major reasons I ended up becoming a Catholic. And it started actually... Uh, about a dozen years before I became a Catholic, uh, it really started surfacing for me, not by studying scripture or theology or apologetics or investigating Catholic faith. It was simply being involved in youth ministry. And I was seeing what happened to teenagers when their Christian parents didn't stay married. It was a very challenging situation, and I could tell terribly disturbing to the young people. You know, there's a, a book that was a New York Times number one bestseller entitled, All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Well, I might say I've been involved in family ministry for decades, but I can say all I really needed to know about family ministry I learned while a youth pastor, and it's this. It's very simple. Teens need married parents. And I was involved with teens at that time primarily, but by deduction, I also realized that children need both of their parents. And, you know, it's interesting. This was some years later. I was doing one of my early Catholic conferences, 
and it was to a group of Catholic men, and the organization that I founded was called St. Joseph's Covenant Keepers because a lot of marriage and family and men's ministry, they like to duck this issue. And basically, all I ever needed to know about family ministry, I learned in youth ministry, is that children and teens need parents. So, And I was going on explaining the different reasons uh, to the guys why they don't want to walk away from their marriage, but rather work at healing it and restoring it and taking the steps, if it's a great marriage, to keep it that way. And in the back of the room, I saw a, a particular young man seemed to be really listening carefully to what I said. He came up to me afterwards, and he was a child psychologist, and he said, you know, Steve, this is really unusual, but while you were speaking, talking about the need of parents and children, I went through in my mind every single one of my clients, and again, he's a child psychologist, every single one of my clients comes from a divorced home and he hadn't realized it at that point. So realizing this, I began a study as I became a uh, Protestant pastor. Um, I was blessed with an education. It enabled me to do some research, both in the original languages of the Bible and started with church history. And it took me about a decade to go through this. And at times, I didn't really want to explore the implications, but I came to the conclusion that the entire world of Christian denominations had caved on Jesus's teaching. I mean, what is there so hard to believe or understand about Luke 16, 18? It's hard to live, but it's not hard to understand this. Jesus is basically saying, if you come from a true, valid Christian marriage, there's no divorce. And yet, there is only one single group of Christians left in the world that kept Jesus' teaching. And the irony in my mind was, I didn't really know if this was a valid Christian church even. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Catholic Church. As an evangelical, I wondered or at least I had serious doubts if it was a true church. For me, it was reading John Paul II's The Role of the Christian Marriage in the Modern World, which enabled me to see the teaching of John Paul II was entirely consistent with the teaching of Jesus in Luke 16, 18, and consistent with the entire history of the church fathers, for the first thousand years, there was only one descend, dissenting voice, and that was a church father who really didn't read Greek, and so he misunderstood what the Greek taught. Otherwise, it was 99.9% unanimous voice for the first 1,000 years, and John Paul II was just reverberating that. And this is very important because we're basically talking about the true teaching of Jesus of marriage in the modern world as it relates to divorce and remarriage and lifelong marriage and everything related to it. This is a related question that is so universally ignored, and it's, and it's related to this question. Why? Why did I doubt that the Catholic Church was a true church. And 
you know, if you ask Protestant ministers, they won't even blink. They will tell you in one word why they have doubts about the Catholic Church being a true church. And it's, it's this. It's grace. I thought that the Catholic Church denied that salvation was by grace. And that's one of the reasons I recently authored a book entitled Grace and Justification to try to convince both Catholics and Protestants that the Catholic Church teaches salvation is by grace. But here's the rub. For 20 years, 20 years, every single Catholic that I met and asked about the nature of salvation is by grace or is it by uh, the works that I do, they reaffirmed my erroneous thinking about the Catholic Church. They didn't know what the church taught regarding the salvation is by grace. And what, what am I talking about? Grace means primarily that I have this profound dependence upon God, not only for the first step of my Christian walk, but my entire Christian life. And I'll just get ahead of myself, including my marriage. Okay, works, and particularly self-generated works, means my primary dependence is upon me, not God. All right, now I'm going to pull these things together, and I'm going to share with you the number one way to strengthen your marriage. And I must say, this isn't mentioned very frequently in marriage books, Catholic marriage books, and lectures, and talks, and TV shows. I'm going to share with you the number one way to heal your marriage if it needs healing, and I'm going to share with you the number one way if it's necessary to restore a marriage that's on the verge of divorce, okay? And this is light years, light years ahead of most psychological therapy, and a lot of modern marriage talk, okay? Now, let's go back to Luke 16, 18. Jesus is asking married couples to do something very difficult, stay together for life. And for some couples, some couples listening to me right now, this seems utterly impossible. And Don't get me wrong, because you have to listen to the rest of this broadcast, but in one very real way, it is impossible. Now, let's break this out, because what we want to do is tie together Jesus' prohibition about divorce and remarriage, which was going on even amongst the Jews in the Old Testament era. He's now bringing that to an end, so to speak, and says, no, marriage is lifelong but I don't want to leave you hanging there, okay? I want to bring in the very practical, the utterly real, and immensely helpful ways to actually live that out. That is, it's just too quiet, uh, particularly amongst Catholic circles, is what this is. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 10, which is actually a companion passage to this passage in Luke 16. These two were of immense effect in my life because when I saw, well, there's no divorce, well, where am I going to find a church on earth? And lo and behold, it's the Catholic Church that teaches this. 
but it teaches something else. But anyhow, let's come to the passage. Pharisees came up to Jesus to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they said, well, Moses, in Deuteronomy 24, allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to put her away. Now, that's true, but they turned to the wrong place of Moses's writing. Moses wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy. They turned to Deuteronomy 24, but then Jesus responds this way, and listen carefully. Jesus said to them, for your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. The reason divorce is necessary is because of the hardness of the human heart. Obviously, love comes from the human heart, but if the heart is hard, uh, love's going to be lacking, and that's going to make marriage really, really difficult. But Jesus says, from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he goes, you know, hence, don't, don't divorce. It was different from the beginning. Hard hearts were coming from the fall into sin, and the law of God pointed to lifelong marriage, but it didn't deliver the power to live lifelong marriage. But there is a radical new change in the new covenant that brings a change in the interior life. I mean the dead center of the human person. I mean the most powerful center, the change in human outlook and behavior. And when Jesus was talking about moving mountains, he wasn't talking about rearranging the landscape with uh, caterpillar earth moving equipment. He was talking about being able to change a human heart. No one else can do this. And quite frankly, superficial therapy, which just goes on certain attitudes and behavior. Now, that has a place down the road from this, but what is at the center of the change in the new covenant, and this explains the change in the, in the whole divorce legislation, it's this. It comes from Ezekiel chapter 36. It's also found earlier in Ezekiel. It's also found in Jeremiah, but I'm just going to read the Ezekiel 36 promise of the new covenant. And this is what he says, starting in verse 26. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is like you know, you have a, a heart transplant, you're dying, your heart is all messed up, and they take your heart out and put in somebody else's heart? That's a, a literal heart transplant? Well, this is something, and when it's speaking of the heart, it's talking about not your emotions, but the very center of your being, okay? And the reason why marriage goes haywire ever since Adam and Eve sinned is because sin makes the heart hard and selfish. So Jesus then goes on, or excuse me, God goes on in Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit within you. You see, the Holy Spirit comes and gives the power to the new heart and it says, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Well, what in the world are those? It's very simple. Jesus summed it up. 
Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. And if you're married, your closest neighbor is your spouse. These are impossible things with hard hearts, but with a new heart, this is what the new covenant brings. This is what being born again in baptism is all about. It brings the new heart, and then the Holy Spirit brings the life of grace to enable that heart to live out the obedience of love. And because of this profound change, that concession of Moses in Deuteronomy 24 that permits the bill of divorce if your wife burns your meal or something, you don't get rid of your wife. You'll love her all your life because God has given you a new heart and the ability to love. Now, this is, this is so deep that, um, you know, uh, so many other marriage advice and tips and 10 rules for this and that are really scratching the surface. And honestly, in even all the talk about theology of the body, which at its essence, the teaching of John Paul II, is a gift of yourself, well, when you have a hard heart, you don't give yourself. When you have a hard heart, you're selfish. It's the opposite of love. So you really need to know what God has available to us and you need to start living that out, and you can then find there's a lot of shocking changes that come. Now, part of the problem, okay, is that a lot of Catholics haven't grown up since they were baptized as an infant, really. They're kind of in a coma still. They've got a new life given to them, but, you know, you have to cooperate with that. And, and in particular, when you Listen to Pope Benedict XVI at these World Youth Days. He's talking about an awakening of the gift that's placed within through the gift of baptism. It's, it's like an appropriation. It's like your faith coming alive and awakening and coming to that life of grace. And then if you remember back when we went through Luke chapter 11 about the Holy Spirit, this was the good gift that the Father wants to give. And what's that good gift? The Holy Spirit. And what do you do? Simple. Ask, seek, knock. No hurdles, no hoops, no rules. Just turn to God and ask him to give you that life of grace. This is the key to living in the New Testament era. This is the key to why there's a change in marriage. You know, when Jesus showed up at the wedding of Cana, what did they have there? They had stone jars of about 120 gallons of water, and this water was used for the ceremonial cleansings from the Old Covenant. And you know what? That was very symbolic and looked forward to a cleansing of the heart that would happen in the new, but that ceremonial water didn't do anything for marriage. And what did Jesus come into that wedding to do? He transformed that external cleansing, which really didn't do that much, into the new wine of the new covenant. And what do we have, the new wine of the new covenant? Well, of course, that's the Eucharist. Have you ever gone to the Eucharist? and asking as you're waiting in line to go forth and receive the body and blood of Jesus to say, Jesus, give me grace for this week to strengthen my marriage. It's hurting right now. Have you ever thought of something like that? That's exactly what we should be doing. But 
there is a major blockage coming into otherwise good hearts. You know, we call them like clogged arteries. A lot of, a lot of people have clogged arteries. And one of the major blockages of clogged arteries is to turn from grace. You say, okay, by grace, I've entered the Christian life. And then you zip. Now it's all up to me. And honestly, the portrayal of the Christian life by way too many leaders and spokespersons and authors and everything else is that the Catholic life is dependent on rules, regulations, and mandates that will encourage godly living. And I must say, I was utterly shocked when I heard my first parish announcement for sacramental preparation. Hey, I had just left my salary, my health care benefits, my career, my calling as a pastor, and everything to have the sacraments. I'm all gung-ho for the sacraments. And it sounded like a drill sergeant saying, attention, you know, mandates, required, have to. I didn't hear anything about grace. I didn't hear anything about how this is going to change your life. I didn't hear anything about this can transform the life of anyone who has a hard heart to a loving heart. And for adults, you know, how this can transform a marriage. So I'm going to break this out a little bit more as we go into part two of this broadcast. But hear this, a lifelong indecisible marriage as taught by Jesus in Luke 15 and as taught by his church through the centuries is impossible apart from a new heart energized by God's grace. And one of the things we really want to do is kind of maybe put aside a lot of the the buzz, so to speak, and how to make marriages last and what the popular publishing thing is at this point and all that, and focus on recovering grace and removing blockages to grace and making sure we're living in grace because if we're doing that, we have a new heart given to us as we are born again in baptism and then energized by the Holy Spirit we can actually live. And as St. Paul says in Galatians, you know, the works of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, that's the stuff of a good marriage. But he said, the works of the flesh, for instance, which block the life of grace, uh, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, and worse. Do you see how it works? And we need to focus on that new heart with grace and we can have lifelong marriages. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 256 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.